This is episode 143 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are, What Would I Do If It Were the Flu?, How to Make a Hot Process Soap at Home, and Emergency Fire Kits, Can a Five-Year-Old Use It? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, uh, a couple of things before we get started. First thing is that uh, Hurricane Irma does not look good for Florida, guys. Um, so uh, I was looking at Space City weather, and like I've, I've mentioned before, uh, they're still tracking Hurricane Irma, although they're they're you know here in Houston. And uh, from what they're looking at, and, and these guys were pretty accurate with Hurricane Harvey. Um, you know, it looks like it's tracking, uh, you know, worst case scenario uh, for Florida. So, guys, if you're there, uh, if, if you are in a situation where they have said to evacuate and you can evacuate, I, I would try to go ahead and evacuate. Uh, some of the, the islands that have been hit have been uh, damaged pretty uh, pretty extensively and so one of the things uh, you know you, you, sometimes you, you know he's like hey I got all my preps I want to be here at my ha- house and sometimes you need to make the call to be able to just go and, and be safe if you can do it I know uh, there are you know a lot of uh, gas shortages although I was looking at a, a map of you know gas stations that were out there was still a lot of green in in Miami I guess you just have to you know find it and I know uh there's apps like Gas Buddy. Um, I don't know if it works in in Florida or not, but uh, that will kind of tell you which uh, which um, station have gas. So that might be helpful to you if you're looking for gas. But uh, you know, trying to trying to get out of there and uh, you know get to get to some kind of safety. Um, they're expecting it to be pretty bad, and so definitely keeping you in my prayers. Uh, you know, we we had small group this evening, and so uh, you know we prayed for you already. Uh, those of you that are in Florida, I've got friends down there, not only in the preparedness community, but also uh, friends. I you know shared with you uh, my principal friend that's down there, and so uh, you know I'll definitely be watching this storm. I think everybody's going to be watching this storm, but uh, definitely praying and uh, making sure that y'all are y'all you know uh, y- y'all can be as safe as possible. Hopefully you're not in a situation where you you have to write it out, um, and so uh, you can you can get out of there if you have to. Um, on talking about you know the aftermath of a hurricane, um, there's still I was I was looking at one of my friends on Facebook saying they were driving around uh, some of the parts of, of Houston and that were that were hard hit and still can't get into it because there's a lot of water and that wasn't even like on the bio uh, part. Uh, where where you know they're still expecting that to be there for for weeks. This is just like in the neighborhoods. You still can't get to some of the neighborhoods because of of water. And uh, you know, seeing all the everyone that's uh, you know having to pull out all their belongings and stuff like that. And and uh, that's just it's just terrible. Um, I think I think I've shared this with you before, but um, they're saying that 20% of the homes that flooded have uh, flood insurance. So, I mean, that's a lot of homes that don't. Now, uh, one of the things I saw today was an article about uh, someone who got uh, a bad infection because they were in the water. They were a first responder. 
And uh, the thing is, is that this guy is uh, like a fireman EMT. And because he is uh, an EMT, he was able to start, you know, he was looking at this... uh, this like this bite, and then it started growing and growing, and then he said it kind of like crossed the bone or the joint area, and he was always told when that happened it was a big deal, so he went to the emergency room, and it was flesh-eating bacteria. And so he had like some kind of, you know, bite, mosquito bite, cut, something, but he was in that water helping people, getting rescuing people, and he got that flesh-eating bacteria. Now the thing is, is that, he knew um, he knew what the signs to look for. There's going to be some people that are going to be like, "Oh, it's just a rash, you know. Let me take, you know, let me put some cream on it, whatever." And he almost he almost got to the to the uh, the hospital too late. But as soon as he got there, he said, "You know, people at Methodist Hospital saw what it was and they they recognized it right away and got him in there, got him into to treatment." And so, uh, just a heads up if you're out there, you don't want to be playing around you know again well we've talked about kids who are playing around in uh in the waters and they shouldn't have been doing that uh you know this guy was a first responder so he was in there and he was helping um and and he you know he got he got this infection there so there's more more of that is going to be happening and there's more than likely there's going unfortunately there's going to be deaths because people are going to wait too long to go to the doctor because they're going to think is hey this is just you know a rash or this is just you know so i'm going to sleep it off or i'm going to take some uh you know some medicine or i'm going to put the cream on it or whatever so you know that's one of the things to to always always consider when you are when you're out there and dealing with the floods you got to be careful so um been like i said there's so many things going on we've been praying about the you know the and ray you know ray hey thanks so much for your comment on on episode 142 yesterday's uh episode on uh just appreciating that prayer um you know that was just kind of just something i felt like i you know i was supposed to do at the end of that episode um, but you know, there's so many things going on. We got the fires. Um, you know, as we were praying in our small group today, um, one the lady, one of the ladies that was there uh, in our small group, you know, has family in Montana, and they are, you know, they're kind of freaking out a little bit. There's a lot of smoke up there, and they're dealing with that. And so we got Montana and Oregon and Utah and California, and uh, you know, I did see a post from uh, from somebody, you know, in in ministry. That uh, it looked like there was um, some good, like the fire had kind of not hit one of their campgrounds, and I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but you know, all these things going on. You got earthquakes in Idaho. You got uh, hurricanes, and you got floods, and then you got North Korea. And then I want to just kind of br- briefly touch on this. This is going to be on that global scale. Uh, you know, dealing with stuff on on the on the the global you know uh, aspect of it, and things that we should kind of keep our eyes open, and not only global, but maybe even prophetic and biblical if you're into that. But even if you're not, this is something that you should uh, should be paying attention to. So one of the guys that I listen to, uh, and and not on a regular basis, but you know, I kind of scan his stuff is Amir Sarfati, and I'm not really too new to him. Uh, I'm sorry. He's he's new to me. I'm sorry. I'm new. I'm new to listening to him, uh, mostly because of um, I guess his connection with JD Farag, who who I used to link to his prophecy update on Prepper Church every week. 
And uh, so, you know, he would bring him out and talk about he was a guest at his church and different things like that. Uh, But anyway, so there was uh, some breaking news. He did a video uh, because Israel uh, decided or Israel uh, did a mission into Syria and knocked out one of the big chemical factories that supposedly is run by Iran. And so it was a chemical factory and a factory that created medium-ranged missiles. And uh, right now, according to Amir, and I think he was a colonel in the military, and so he's still kind of tied into people, I guess. Um, he, He was mentioning that they were doing one of the biggest kind of drills in northern Israel and I guess they use that I guess a lot of uh, countries use that uh, that auspices of of the drill to go in there and to knock out um, this this plant that created chemical plants and or chemicals and uh, biological weapons and also these medium uh, range missiles but what he is saying is that um, they are expecting that Iran and, and Hezbollah are going to be um, retaliating for that because although this this uh, plant was inside of Syria, that it was manned and run by Iran. And uh, so they're expecting that. So who knows? He said this is one of the biggest deals uh, you know, uh, that has been going on uh, for in, in a long time. And so he thought it was so important that, you know, he needed to do uh, a quick update on that. So something to be on the lookout for in things going on out there in, in Israel and in the Middle East that, uh, you know, you're always concerned when things are going down, down over there because, uh, you know, war can easily just kind of just spark uh, from over there. So a lot of things to, uh, to consider there as we're going into the weekend. Let's go ahead and start with our articles. Our first article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. And the title of this article is, What Would I Do If It Were the Flu? And uh, so we're getting ready to go into flu season. And so uh, things to consider there. So let's start. Why are people so conter- concerned when it's just a flu virus? And not even a flu virus that currently exists at that. Of all the stuff hits the fan, it reaches even down here to rural Missouri and help is not coming. Scenarios for which we prep, I consider this one most likely. An influenza pandemic of a strain that kills a high percentage of the people it infects. We have had them before. The Spanish flu during World War I killed millions worldwide and it wasn't killing mostly the old and the sick as most flu does either. The otherwise otherwise mostly healthy young adults were the most likely to die there are two reasons these there are two reasons for my concern number 1 the flu strains mutate fast and share lots of genes with each other making new combinations arise all the time some of those strains are great at getting themselves passed from person to person without so much as a handshake flu pandemics are regular occurrences for this reason number 2 Some of the flu strains provoke one's immune system to attack so rapidly they cause what's called a cytokine storm. In a cytokine storm, the immune cells are pumping out large quantities of chemicals, cytokines, that provoke other immune cells. It's the excessive immune reaction that kills most people with these flu strains. And otherwise, healthy adults have the best immune systems and so fall prey more easily. What would I do about it? I am not a physician and these aren't medical recommendations for what you should do. 
They are thoughts on what one person with professional contact with the issue would herself choose to do for someone she cares about if the person came down with one of these flu strains and is provided for informational purposes. Of course, I'd be using techniques that should be available to every prepper. If hospital care was available, I'd take them there. I've said it before and will again. Hospitals are great places to get sick. This is particularly true during pandemics when they're stuffed full full of people shedding germs and the staff is impossibly overloaded. If my beloved is already showing the fever and cough, I'd still get them to the hospital in a hurry if I thought there was any hope of getting them in. They've already caught the thing, so that horse has left the barn. Hospitals are most likely to have something like Oslomavir or Tamiflu, and I probably said that wrong, uh, but the Tamiflu on hand, drugs that impair viral reproduction. That helps. They're also the only place I could get my beloved in oxygen therapy and a ventilator if needed, and that's a big hairy deal. Why cytokine storms, supportive care while with cytokine storms, supportive, supportive care while the patient's own immune system sorts things out is vital. And so, uh, just my own two cents here. I'm having flashbacks of the uh, after Armageddon, uh, you know, a docudrama on Discovery Channel. I, I've talked about it before. That's the one that kind of got my wife uh, interested in prepping. Uh, I'm sure you can go to YouTube and you, you'll definitely you'll be able to find it. Uh, but in in that, I think the guy is a nurse. Uh, the like the main character guy, he, he's a or the dad, he's a nurse, and he goes to the to the hospital during a pandemic, and it's just. Uh, it's filled with people coughing and stuff, and it's just nasty. So I'm having flashbacks of that show. Support at home. If the strain of flu had a high infection rate, the hospitals may already be full to the gills, or there might be travel restrictions that prevent us getting there. Travel restrictions did help some communities stay flu-free in 1918, and I'm not the only person who remembers that. I'd be worried about trying this option. It's dicey, but... You use what you've got and that's it. Good good positioning. Something called paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea can't be good, right? It's when a person lies down to sleep, fluid gradually collects in the lungs, and they wake up gasping with nightmares of suffocation. The mechanism that causes this is also active in cytokine storms. Sleeping at an incline helps considerably. This condition can actually be described by how many pillows the person uses to prop up. I'd settle my beloved in a recliner or use this kind of pillow system. And so there is a picture there that you can see. Uh, Over-the-counter immune systems interrupting drugs. Fortunately, for the prepper, much of the cold and allergy relief aisles is stocked with drugs to rein in overly aggressive immune systems. I'd be reaching for allergy meds. And Benadryl is an antihistamine. And histamine is one of the cytokine-causing the problem. Lordodyne or Claritin blocks a different set of cytokines. Mucus relief expectorants and cough suppressors. These aren't the same thing. Mucus relief products, also called expectorants, make the phlegm more watery and thus easier to remove. Mucus blockage is a problem with airways immune reaction. So these might help my beloved get more air through those airways. Guafensin is a common example. 
Cough suppressors suppress the cough reflex. Surprising, huh? And while coughing does help remove phlegm, it tends to get seriously out of control with cytokine storms. Dexomethophan is a common example. I'm sorry guys on that one. Uh, honey seems to work uh, pretty well too, but not as well as I'm bringing the big guns to this fight as I can. Fever reducers. It's not that fever itself is harmful unless it's ridiculously high. It's that it revs up the met metabolic rate so the person requires a lot more oxygen requiring energy metabolism. I don't like that when getting oxygen is one of the choke points of the problem. So I'd be giving a fever reducer such as acetaminophen or ibuprofen or whatever the favorite is with a couple of caveats. Checking all all over-the-counter allergy cold meds to make sure they weren't also including the same drug. Acetaminophen overdose is a major cause of accidental poisoning because people don't watch this. Also, some of the NSAIDs, the non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs, including aspirin, ibuprofen, and naproxen, discourage blood clotting. I wouldn't want that. I've read too much about bloody sputum with these fusses to think that a great idea. I'd probably go acetaminophen that doesn't have this action. Asthma medications. There's not over the can they're not over the counter so I don't have them but I'd wish I did. Abuterol and other alpha adrenergic drugs relieve airway constriction. On the upside, it's a storm. If you can write it out, life gets better. All right. So man, uh, sorry, my my <laughs> my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth here. I guess I need to take a drink. Um, very, you know, interesting post because it's dealing with over-the-counter medications and getting to those. A lot of the times when we talk about you know flu, uh, you know flu posts and stuff like that, a lot of people are dealing. You know, they'll bring out you know medicinal, herbal, those kinds of things, essential oils. Uh, natural remedies and things like that. Of course, if it was a serious flu pandemic, you would want to throw everything that you can uh, at your, you know, at your loved ones and make sure you're still being careful that you're not, you know, spreading spreading this uh, the flu around to other family members. So you want to have that uh, that you know sick room where you can kind of keep people at bay, but at the same time take care of them and get them everything that they need. And so that would be a very, very touchy situation, right? Uh, very, very scary situation, especially if you are hearing uh, about this being like a widespread problem all over the place. I would say one of the things that I would want to have on hand is elder, elderberry. And uh, by that, you want to look at a specific brand called Sambucol. Um, that has supposedly has had really good results as well. Uh, some people have even said, I have read in, in some places, that it can be as good as Tamiflu if you start it as early as you know when you get the symptoms. And uh, I have talked about Sambucol before. Uh, you know, being in the education system when I was on a campus, germs would go. Uh, I mean, there was this one time where there was this bug that went around one of the grade levels, and there was no joke. By the end of the day, half the grade level was gone. I, it was it was just a, a a bug, and I you know my my spidey senses were going up, and of course I was going to the nurse, and I was like, hey, how many are out? 
I mean, what are we talking about? She goes, well, I'm about to call. <laughs> I'm about to call the central office to let them know what's going on and to keep them abreast of you know what's happening. But it was just like a 24, not even a 24-hour thing. It was just a, you know uh, like a 12-hour thing. But it was just going from from uh, classroom to classroom to classroom, and it was it was crazy. But so germs spread very very easily i would always be very careful when it got to flu season uh trying not to touch uh you know hands or uh doorknobs and those kinds of things and uh, kids would want to come up and hug you and and shake your hand and i would do knuckle bumps i try to do knuckle bumps anyway uh just uh, not spread germs uh but uh you know i came up with that sambacol thing and or just because of the the articles that i was reading for prepper website and started sharing that you know there's people there at the, at the school other uh, other uh, staff members that would start taking it if they started feeling sick or run down they'd start you know dropping this ambercol and, and it was you know, it's the elderberry extract and uh, so you might want to get some of that and stock up on that I'll link to uh, the one that I get on um, on Amazon it's just a big bottle but you can get it really you can get it now at any drugstore uh, it used to not be it used to be to where you would just you would have to order it from somewhere but now like uh, I know what like Walgreens carries it and CVS carries it and um, so people people can get to it but so you want to have that aspect of it uh, you, you know you want to have all the other over the counters is you know and and deal with it that way but you also want to have uh, you know other means as well essential oils uh, if, if those would help and those would help with the breathing and, and those kinds of things, you know, uh, you know, eucalyptus would definitely help with the airwaves and, uh, you know, helping to open up the airways and, and, uh, all the other things that you have there, but something to consider because, uh, you know, there might be a time where you can't go to the doctor, you can't go to the hospital and, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Hopefully you know what to do at that point. So uh, go check that out at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. Um, there are some pictures there that you can uh, check out. And uh, just kind of the setup there to keep someone, uh, you know, sitting up and, and uh, you know, keep them going. All right. So let's go ahead and move on. Our next article comes to us from ModernSelfReliance.com. And uh, this article is entitled, How to Make a Hot Process Soap at Home. And so uh, making soap is, is one of those things that a lot of homesteaders do. Uh, but if you couldn't go to, the, to, go to uh, the grocery store or to, you know, uh, a Walmart or a Target or, you know, a big box store to pick up a bunch of, of soap, you know, what would you do? So let's go ahead and read this one. Learning how to make hot processed soap is not difficult. In fact, this ancient process of soap making goes back centuries I have talked about cold process soap before and 10 simple steps to making cold process soap, but another option is to hot process soap. All soap is made from fat and lye. The resulting soap is a chemical reaction between the two called saponification. You cannot make soap without lye. Some will claim you can using melt and pour methods, but really someone else made the soap with lye and you are just remelting it to make a fancier soap. Safety in Soap Making Yes, soap is made with lye. No lye, no soap. Lye is in drain cleaner and can be a powerful ir irritant on the skin. However, your stove can burn you, but you still use it for cooking. Taking the right safety precautions can make soap fun and easy for the home soap maker. Uh, number one, wear gloves. This is a non-negotiable part of making soap. You don't want lye on your skin and gloves protect your hands. 
Wear safety glasses or goggles. You don't want lye on your skin or in your eyes. Pretty simple. Just wear it. Get them here. Keep pets and small children out of the workspace. Also seems obvious, but unless they are also wearing gloves and safety glasses, they should not be near the soap making supplies. Good ventilation. When mixing the lye with water, there will be gases released. This gas can give you a headache. Therefore, mix the lye outside or near a window. Mix it on your stovetop under the hood with the fan on or have a fan in your window. Just keep the air moving so you don't gas yourself while attempting soap. Watch for burns. You will need to mix the fats while they are liquid. So if the fat is normally solid at room temperature, you will need to heat it up. When mixing the lye with the water, it will create heat in an exothermic reaction. The container will get a very, get a very, will get very hot, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So make sure not to touch it. Avoid aluminum. Do not use aluminum utensils or bowls or molds. The lye will stain or affect the metals. Rather, use stainless steel bowls for mixing. Vinegar. Keep vinegar handy when dealing with the lye. If you do get lye on your skin, spray with vinegar. The vinegar will neutralize the lye. Do not rinse the lye off. Remember that I said lye mixed with water gets very hot. That will happen on your skin too. Try to get it mostly off before rinsing your skin. Watch the ratios. Making soap is chemistry. You need to make sure there is enough fat to react with every lye molecule. If you have too much lye, then you will have extra lye left over and the soap will be really drying and may even burn your skin. If you have too much fat left over, your soap will be very greasy, not what you want for soap. Depending on what you plan to use your soap for will depend on how much fat you want left over. The fat will add moisture and make a nice lathering bar for skin, so you can super fat your soap if you have dry skin. However, if you plan to use your soap for dishes, then you don't want any leftover fats there. A soap calculator like this one will tell you how much lye to add depending on what percentage of fat you want left over. With cold press processed soap, the chemical reaction to turn the fat and lye into soap is not complete when you pour it into the mold. However, when you add heat to the process, it speeds it up and completely becomes soap before you pour it into the mold. This is chemistry, folks. Remember, in high school where heat is a catalyst for reactions, Sorry if mentioning high school brings up bad memories. Hot processed soap is no harder than cold processed soap. It just takes a little bit more time. Tools for hot processed soap. Each tool mentioned, I link to the product I use. I recommend them because I use them and they work. A crock pot, slow cooker. I use this one. Over time, the lye will etch the crock pot. So if you plan on making many batches, get a dedicated crock pot. If you only plan on making a few batches, don't worry about using your normal cooking one. A dedicated soap thermometer, a kitchen scale, soap molds, I use either old plastic containers or this bar mold, glass or stainless steel mixing bowls, safety gear like gloves, safety gla glasses and vinegar, an immersion blender. The fats and lye need to be mixed very well. You can mix by hand, not recommended, but this will take a very long time. You can use a hand mixer or a stand mixer, but this also will take a bit of a time. I highly recommend an immersion blender for this step. It will take you from 2 hours of mixing to 10 minutes. Ingredients Fat 
You can use almost any fat or oil you desire to make soap. These can be brought, bought at your grocery store, specialty shop online, or in bulk. You can also render your own fat from cooking or from cut fat from the butcher. See how I render my fat and two ways to render fat for soap making. This is a place where expensive oils can increase the price per bar of soap. Lye. I can link you to Amazon and make commission when you buy lye, but the cheapest lye I have found is at bulkapothecary.com. So go there. My conscience can't let you pay more than you should. Downsize there is the minimum purchase is 8 pounds of lye, but at $2 a pound. Water. Any household water will do. Optional. Fragrances, coloring, exfoliants. You can make a rose-colored lavender smelling bar with coffee grounds to exfoliate your skin if you like. I choose to keep my bars as cheap and raw as possible. These extras can increase the cost per bar greatly. Steps to hot process soap. Calculate the amount of lye you need for your recipe. Yes, recipes tell you exactly what you need. However, it is good practice to check the amount of lye using a soap calculator. I use this website, Mountain Sage Soap Calculator. Making soap is chemistry. You need the proper ratio of ingredients to get a good soap. Determine how much fat you desire left over after the reaction. Number two, weight out your ingredients and melt your fats. Using your desired recipe and soap calculator, exactly weigh out your ingredients. This is science, people. Don't be afraid, but be precise as you can. Three, in a ventilated space while wearing your safety glasses and gloves, combine solid lye and your liquid. Pour the lye into the water. Do not pour the water into the lye. Why bother? Well, as you pour the lye into the water, the ratio of lye to water gets more and more concentrated. If you add the water to the lye, it is super concentrated to start with and it's slowly, di slowly diluted out. This may cause an explosive reaction of lye with the water. Don't do this. Pour the lye into the water. 4. Stir well. Set aside and allow to cool. 100 degrees Fahrenheit to 125 degrees Fahrenheit. This is where your thermometer is important. Measure and combine oils. Mix gently. Once the fats and oils are mixed and melted, allow the temperature to drop to 100 degrees Fahrenheit to 125 degrees Fahrenheit. Combine lye solution and melted oils. Be careful not to splash while combining the mixtures. You can pour directly into your crock pot if you feel comfortable using your immersion blender in your crock pot. Stir with your immersion blender until the mixture barely reaches traces. Tracing looks like a slightly thickened custard, not instant pudding, but a cooked custard. It will support a drop or your stir marks for several seconds. For hot process soap, you do not need to completely reach trace. The consistency of cake batter is good enough. 8. Cook for approximately 1 hour on high. Leave it alone. Don't open the lid to check as you don't want any moisture to escape. The soap will begin to boil up on the sides and fold over. Your soap is nearly complete when the soap has completely folded over itself. I have seen some recipes call for putting plastic wrap over the crock pot un under the lid to create a better seal. I don't recommend this. The plastic wrap melted as expected to my crock pot. Other options could include putting a damp towel over the lid to prevent moisture loss. After cooking, this is the time to add any extras you would like, the colors, fragrances, and exfoliants. If your soap is too hard to work with, you can add a little bit of extra water to soften it up. 
This will not affect your final product, just may take longer for the bars to cure. Pour finished soap into your prepared molds. After a day, the soap can be turned out of the mold. If the soap is very soft, allow it to cure for a few days to be firm, uh, firm on the outside. At this point, when pouring the soap into the mold, it should be completely soaked. The point of cooking the soap was to finish the chemical reaction and finish saponification. No lye should be remaining and a pH test would confirm this. However, if some lye remains, it will finish reacting while it cures like cold processed soap, but little should remain. Cut soap into bars when you take them out of the molds. A day later, your soap will be soft like fudge and should be easy to cut. Remove it from the molds and cut to desired shapes. At this time, you could also press in a logo or design on the soap on the side of the soap bar. Set the bars out to cure and dry for one to three weeks. This will allow the bar to become firm. Hot processed soap needs less time to cure than cold processed soap because it does not need to finish saponification. It just needs to evaporate the excess water. Place the bars on something that will allow them to breathe. After this period, the soap will be much harder and ready to use. There is a recipe here for coconut tallow soap. For my skin, I blend coconut oil into the soap to increase lather and moisturizing properties. I have been using this soap for six months now with no problems. No dry skin or greasy skin. Also, no acne outbreaks like I was getting with pure tallow soap. The recipe is one-third coconut oil and two-thirds tallow. Ingredients, 16 ounces lard or tallow, 8 ounces of coconut oil, 3.47 ounces of lye, and 6 to 8 fluid ounces of water. This recipe makes approximately 9 to 10 bars of 2 to 3 ounces each. The cost comes out to approximately 59 cents per bar. We use about one bar of soap per person per month for our body, for our body soap. If you desire to add ex the extras, color, fragrances, exfoliants to your soap, hot processed soap is the way to go. The consistency is easier to work with and allows for adding special ingredients like milk or honey. Hot process is not any harder than cold process soap, except it takes the extra step to cook the soap. All right, so um, good article here because, you know, one of the things that you think about is like, hey, what, what are you going to do if the poop hits the fan? Of, of, you know, eventually you, you're going to have to, you're going to run out of soap. You're going to have to do something. There's ways to make lye out there in, in nature, and there's way to, ways to get fat out there in nature. And so when you think about it, people were making soap for, you know, thousands of years before uh, Walmart came around <laughs> or came around. Right. And so, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not hard to do. People were and people were doing it out there probably without the safety gear, without all the safety, you know, without the immersion blender. And, yeah, it probably sucked. They probably, you know, they worked at it and they probably did get burned and all those kinds of things. But can be done but i think this is information that if you're not if you're not trying it i mean i think trying it and, and doing it you might find it yourself that that you like it like uh like she's mentioning here at the bottom with this coconut oil she seems to or co coconut soap uh it seems to coconut tallow soap uh excuse me um it seems to have been, have been working for her she found something specific and very very cost effective that worked so a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, you know, comes out, you know, you start saving a lot of money and it's something that really works for you and works for your skin. And, uh, you know, it, it's something, then you're learning that skill as well. 
So, uh, you know, there might be a lot of people out there that want to try this. If not, then you, at least you're kind of putting this in the back of your head, right? Or at least maybe filing filing it for the in the back of your head so if there ever was a time that you needed to make soap that you could make soap and because uh, i know that in my family we go through soap like crazy and so uh, i know that eventually at some point that i probably would have to make soap someone would have to make soap and uh you know if we were in uh you know uh, a poop hits the fan scenario all right so that's over at modern self-reliance there are a lot of links a lot of pictures and so this is one you, you're going to want to go check out. All right, so it's Friday. In the Friday podcast, I usually go into the archives and uh, you know and just kind of browse around a little bit and find some, maybe a topic that I haven't covered recently on on the podcast and and pull out one of the you know an article, a good article from the archives. And so I went over and found one on uh, from Survival Sherpa, my friend Todd, who is. Uh, also an educator as well, so I know he's in the thick of it now as we've uh, we've started school. Um, this this is entitled "Emergency Fire Kits: Can a Five-Year-Old Use It?" And so uh, I think this is uh, a good article, and I think uh, everyone should have a fire kit. So if you if you have a bob, if you have a uh, you know your EDC, whatever um, you know, even even in your vehicle, right? I mean, you might want to create a fire kit. And just have it, you know, in your vehicle and underneath a seat. If you if you have a truck underneath a seat or you know in the trunk or something like that, just I think it's smart to do. But if you have kids, this might be something you might want to create a fire kit. Maybe create it with them and uh, you know teach them how to use it. So let's go ahead and walk through this one. Uh, I think you're gonna like it. Judging comments here and on social media, our last article, Primitive versus Modern, was well received. Then I spot this portion of Alan Halcon's comments in my notification. This article really touched a nerve. I braced myself to read the full comment from someone I hold in high esteem in the survival community. If you're unfamiliar with Alan's modern and primitive survival skills, you owe it to yourself to check him out at Outdoor Self-Reliance. Anybody who produces consistent hand drill coals in 12 seconds is someone who has my respect. He also holds the record of spinning a hand drill coal in the unthinkable time of, wait for it, two seconds. Being familiar with his way of challenging our best practices and beliefs in the survival community, I clicked to read more of his comment. The article really touched a nerve, albeit in a good way. For so, and this is a quote, sorry, quote, this article really touched a nerve, albeit in a good way. For so long, I've constantly said a similar thing. In a survival situation, when I want to start a fire, I want a road flare. During my classes, I share with my students, my litmus test for a survival fire starting tool is, can a five-year-old use it? If the answer is no, it has no business in your survival kit, end quote. Why would the world record holder in fire by friction prefer a road flare over hand drill or bow and, bow and drill in a real survival scenario? It's pretty simple. Fire is life. The time we need fire the most are usually when fire is hardest to come by. There's not much wood, wet or dry. A road flare can't bring, can't bring to combustion temperature. With that being said, we should re-examine our survival fire kits. My grandson is now 9 years old. Time really flies. He's usually my test subject when it comes to simplifying wilderness survival. He got interested in making his own fire two years ago. He had to overcome his fear of fire by learning to properly strike a kitchen match. 
which brings us to the point of this article. Could a five-year-old use your fire kit? Let's say you're somehow incapacitated on a backcountry camping trip that turns sideways. Your young son or daughter will need to make fire for warmth until rescuers pinpoint your personal locator beam. Self-rescue is no longer an option. An emergency fire kit should have a simple, surefire method of combustion. This is not about a fire kit you take to the woods for experimentation. Remember to keep it simple enough that an inexperienced child can make fire. Before getting into details of ignition sources, I can't stress enough the importance of surface area to volume ratio. I've watched many adults, adults fail to build sustainable fires by not taking the time to prep a fire lay. A soldering torch wouldn't even get the thing going. Collect, a, collect or create small stuff first. If I have to rely on primitive fire methods, I went to the woods unprepared. I'll admit there may be that rare occasion where rubbing sticks together is your only chance of fire. If the plane crashes in the jungle doesn't kill you, just use the burning debris field as your fire. Jokes aside, not many of us will be in the above situation. Most of us simply go camping, hiking, or milder outdoor adventures. That doesn't discount the need to prepare with modern fire tools. The trusty thumb drill has thousands of fires in a lightweight container that can be lit with one hand. Every lighter in my kit has been de-child proof. Simply bend the safety device out of the metal housing and pull to remove. Flatten the metal wing down flush with the housing and you have a lighter a five-year-old can light. And that's, uh, that's a Bic lighter. I didn't say that right off the bat. And there is a picture of uh, the way that he set up, sets up his Bic lighter. This simple step makes ignition easier for adults as well. The argument often arises about lighters not working in high altitudes or when wet. While I can't speak from personal experience about lighters not working at the summit of Mount Everest, a wet lighter can be made functional again in around two minutes. Blow into the metal housing several times. Work the wheel which strikes the flint by rolling it on your pant leg. Keep this pattern up until your lighter flames. Matches If you keep matches in your kit, it would be very wise to teach your ch children and grandchildren how to strike a match. Even more importantly, build their confidence in starting fires using, using only one match. This task requires as much special attention to the fire lay as you would in primitive fire making, which brings up the whole issue of prepared tinder, both man-made and natural. Emergency nat Natural Tinder Daryl and Chris Halseth run a family business called Dragon Fire Tinder Box. Any of their prepared tinder products weigh very little and provide an emergency source of tinder in your kit. It's also a great teaching tool to help kindergarten age children learn what a good tinder material looks like, fine, medium, coarse, and how it burns. This stuff is a campfire in a bag and can be lit easily with a match or a lighter. Spark ignition or fair serum rods work on this tinder as well. However, keep in mind that this emergency fire kit has to be simple enough to be used by a young child. Dirt Road, Road Girl had trouble with consistent fire using a regular ferro rod. I bought her Sparky fire starter for her kit. This device is pressed down, it pressed down to direct a shower of sparks on a tinder material one-handed. Open flame is the best choice, but Sparky is a good backup. In an emergency situation, the last thing you want your young child to have to find in the forest is dry, fluffy stuff that will ignite easily. Collect your own natural tinder or buy a bag of dragon fire for your kit.
Surefire. I carry both DIY and commercial Surefire starters. One of my favorite is Instafire. Click here to read our review on how versatile this stuff can be in an emergency fire kit. If you choose to buy a commercial Surefire, purchase enough to test before staking your fire and life on them. A homemade fire starter will, will, which lights as easily as a 5-year-old's birthday candle is waxed jute twine. There are no chemical accelerants in this recipe. Simply coat jute twine in wax, flick your bick, and you have a long-lasting fire starter. Another fine homemade surefire is cotton balls infused with petroleum jelly. They can get messy, so store them in an airtight container in your kit. Every kid loves birthday candles. I have a tea light candle stowed away in my kit. It takes up the space of about a dollar's worth of stacked quarters, but offers a long burn time to help a child start a fire. Duct tape. Wrap a few feet of tape around your Bic lighter and you will always have a dependable source of fire, even if you need to burn stuff in the rain. And so there is a, um, a video here that's entitled, Practice Burning Stuff in the Rain with uh, Todd, and he's, uh, it's one of his videos that's embedded in the article. You can come check this out. Here's a tip to help your child remove the duct tape from the lighter with minimal struggle, especially if you use Gorilla brand duct tape. That stuff really sticks. Before securing the last half inch of tape to your lighter, bend it over itself to create a pull tab for little fingers to grab. Not much is as, not much is as frustrating as trying to find the end of tape on a used roll. Strip off a foot of tape, wad it up loosely, and set it on fire with the lighter. Duct tape has many survival uses. Fire starting may be the most overlooked. Emergency ignition sources to avoid. I wouldn't stake my life on a five-year-old start starting a fire with solar ignition sources, like magnifying lenses or Fresno card. I carry one in my fire kit, which Max, my grandson, has used to start fires. However, it takes prior practice, good tinder, and full sun to achieve ignition. Flint and steel is one of my favorite spark ignition sources. The learning curve is too steep for a young child to use in an emergency. You need prepared charred material and hand-eye coordination to prevent injury, something a kindergartner lacks. As mentioned previously in this article, spark ignition is a good backup if you have experience using the device. I have an experienced 10-year-old Boy Scout and his dad from our troop over at my shelter this summer. I invited him to start his first spark-based fire by scraping a ferro rod. He succeeded in making fire but only after several attempts and coaching. A great learning opportunity for all of us. Fire by friction. We won't even go there. I just returned from the Foxfire Mountaineer Festival where I had the pleasure of teaching friction fire methods alongside of Alan Kay from the TV show alone. Several adults and a few preteens achieved their first fire by friction in a controlled setting with proven friction, friction fire sets. Quite a few failed. Practice primitive but always prepare modern when it comes to emergency fire starting. I certainly encourage you to practice the emergency ignition sources to avoid with your children in the safety of your backyard or campground. But if your life ever depends on a five-year-old starting a fire, stick with a Bic for your emergency fire kit. Thank you, Alan Halcon, for sparking the common sense idea for this article. Keep doing the stuff of self-reliance, Todd. All right, so uh, good article there. He does have that, um, I believe he did do an article on his DIY uh, uh, fire starter 
the with the Jeep Twine, and so you can go check that one out as well. Todd's interjected a lot of uh, a lot of different um, links in here, and then like I said, the video that you can go check out. I think fire is one of the most important things that we you know we need to learn, and one of the most important things that we need to teach. Uh, I love seeing you know uh, very often if you follow Todd on his on Instagram. Um, he takes his kids out. Um, his, I believe he teaches high school. Takes his high school kids out uh, for, uh, I, I believe it's for rewards or whatever, but it, usually like on a Friday or whatever, and they go out and they make fire. And so you get kids, uh, you know, who have never probably been out into the woods before, and they're making friction fires. I mean, I think that's that's so cool. I mean, when you do that, um, you just you just have this great feeling by doing that. And you can just imagine that the kids... And the feelings that they get from doing that. So kudos to Todd for, for uh, you know, for taking the time to uh, to go out and show kids not only not only teach them you know the the education that he's supposed to be doing as a teacher for whatever you know he's teaching whatever classes he's teaching, but then also you know putting some uh, real world skills inside of them. And I think it's real world skills that everyone should have. Um, you know, it's uh, I remember when I was in Boy Scouts, that was one of the things is is building a fire. And my boy. My my scout master really he would rip he would he would rip us uh you know uh on that and so that was so important to him to make sure that you knew how to make fire and how to make it in in various different ways and so um you know great article over there i hope that you uh you do take the time maybe this weekend you do take the time to go out and make a, an emergency fire kit uh you know one of the places that i found because sometimes um you like for instance, you might want to use like an Altoids tin, and you might want to put a couple of fire things in there, so you can maybe um, you can't make a very extensive fire kit there, but you might be able to put some uh, things that would cause uh, combustion in one Altoids kit, and then maybe tinder uh, in another Altoids kit, and so you would be carrying two around. But you know, if you ever if you have a dollar store around, there's a lot of times where they have uh, cases like little cases. Uh, uh, like video game cases. Uh, this is one that I have used before. Uh, video game cases that are a little bit bigger than an Altoids kit, but they have you know pockets and things like that, and they zip up and they sell them for a dollar. And a lot of the times people don't buy them because they're outdated or whatever. They don't fit anything, and so it's one of those things that you can buy for a kit. And uh, so you can go there and find a couple of those and use those to build a couple of fire kits. And who knows, while you're doing it, maybe you make a couple of extra and you give them out to some friends or, you know, uh, give them out as gifts. Maybe there's a young, uh, you know, a young kid who uh, you would love to have something like that, of course, getting the permission from the parent to do that. But, uh, you know, actually after... Um, one of the reasons why I kind of you know went to this article as well, although I was really searching for a good one, uh, one of the reasons I went there is because I'm thinking of doing this with a youth group in, at church and uh, you know making some fire kits, and so kind of been thinking about that, and I might even go through and make uh, the jute twine uh, with the wax, and uh, even making some of those uh, bomb-proof, uh, waterproof max uh, matches. You've seen them all over Facebook and stuff like that, but. It's the really, you know, the good fire uh, match or the good matches that you can find. Dip them in wax and you make them waterproof. And so, you know, walk through uh, how to, you know, how to strike those and all that kind of stuff. So, been thinking about doing that with the youth group and uh, with the with the boys in the youth group. So, uh, looking forward to that. 
All right, guys. Hey, thanks so much for walking through uh, this week of podcasts with me. Uh, it's always fun. I always get a big, uh, big thrill to be able to do this and uh, really, truly enjoy it. Love the feedback. I appreciate it when people hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just let me know what they think. And, and hey, Todd, really, I really love that article. That article really helped me. Or hey, Todd, I'd love to see a little bit more of this. Or you know, you whatever out there. I mean, I just, I just love hearing and, and knowing that uh, you know the podcast is making a difference out there. Uh, you know, we're we're trying, we're trying to provide preparedness information out there. And then at the same time, uh, here recently with Harvey, and then you know with the things that are going on. Just trying to give people just a little bit more heads up because I know we're busy and sometimes we don't always uh, get to stay on the news and all the things that are going on. And to be honest with you, there's times there's a lot of things that uh, slip by me that I don't get to uh, that I don't get to follow up on because I just I stay so busy. Uh, but you know, there's you know, I guess as we help each other. Uh, if you you know one of those one of those ways is that you can come to the Facebook group and be a part of the Facebook group. And if you see things that are out there, just dropping those things in there because you know once you're a member, uh, you can drop links and posts and stuff like that on there. Um, you know I don't allow people to come on and sell things. Um, had a couple of those recently and just kind of just deleted those really quick. But if you have uh, you know people that are you know pushing their own products or whatever. Um, if you if you but if you come in and you find a, a great article somewhere, whatever it might be, dropping it in there, man, that's very you know we appreciate that because uh, with so many eyes out there, uh, you know we can get a lot of information. We can share that information, so uh, we appreciate that. You know, I appreciate those of you that in the Facebook group that that uh, are listening to the podcast and do that. Uh, that's always very, very helpful. So if you're not a part of the Facebook group, we welcome you to come on over. If you're not a part of the email list, hey, don't uh, don't don't wait. Come over and, and be a part of that email list. And when you do, you automatically get subscribed into the free e-course, A More Self-Reliant Life. And uh, I have touched base on, on some of those things that I touched on on that e-course. I've talked about those things in, in, in dealing with uh, Hurricane Harvey. And so, you know, that's always interesting because it just, you know, that just starts to come up. It's good preparedness information. So um, uh, if you get a chance, I'd love for you to uh, share out uh, this episode on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and just share it out by, you know, word of mouth or even on some forums or whatever, just letting people know that the Prepper Website Podcast is out there. So with that, I hope you have a great weekend, man. Uh, you keep... Uh, Keep people in, you know, Montana and Utah and Oregon and California with the fires in your prayers. Keep, uh, you know, people in Houston and all over. I keep saying Houston, but please remember that it's all over the Gulf, the, the Texas Gulf Coast and Louisiana Gulf Coast. There's still people underwater. There's still people hurting. There's still people, you know, that are they're having a very rough time. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, we're going to be keeping, you know, uh, people in Florida and then the islands. Uh, you know, in uh, in our prayers, and then all the other things, and you know, we keep our leaders in our prayers, and, and all the other things that are going on uh, in the world. You know, it's it's definitely a time to um, keep your eyes open, and uh, and that's why we always say stay prepped and aware. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.